God is a talker. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to have conversation. In a sense, all of Scripture, everything in your Bible is God's attempt to speak to us, talk to us, help us understand Him, and challenge us to talk to Him. He wants us to have conversations. But any of us who have been a Christian for a while, if you're a newer Christian, we would tell you sometimes that can get difficult. Sometimes circumstances in our life collide and events start happening and circumstances come in on us and it's hard to talk to him. Sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we get maybe a little bewildered or maybe even a little bit distressed and it's hard to talk to him. It's not an easy conversation all the time because you don't sit across a table. You can fix a cup of coffee, you can sit down, but you can't visibly see across the table. And so you're, you're talking, not necessarily sure that he's listening and you're not getting those nonverbal feedback in those conversations. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how we keep the conversation going even when circumstances are harder. So let's go to Luke chapter 18. We're studying the parables of Jesus, the altered reality that Jesus presents to us in these stories. It's a made up story. In this particular story, there's a widow and there's a judge. Those are pretty well the only two characters. They're fictitious, they're not real people. Although the circumstance is actually very typical of the judicial system in the ancient Near East in the first century. And so everybody that Jesus was talking to primarily his closest disciples, his closest students at this point, they would be familiar with stories like this. Things about the story would resonate from things they had heard in the community and in conversation or maybe even experienced themselves. But he uses this story, he used this fictitious story to help us understand that when it's hard to pray, when it's difficult to pray, when it seems almost maybe even sometimes impossible to pray, when we don't want to pray, we can accept the challenge to keep praying, keep talking, keep having a conversation, knowing that out of his faithfulness, out of the love he has for us, that he wants to hear and he hears. And I love the way, I've quoted it lots and lots of times in our church. I love the way John writes it. We studied this last year in 1 John when John says, if we are praying and we're praying according to the will of God, he does hear us. We know that for a fact. And the fact that he hears us means that he answers us. Now, it's not always going to be exactly the answer I want, but I don't have anybody in my life that answers everything the way I want to. My, my closest companion, the, the heartbeat of my life is my wife, and I will guarantee you, she doesn't answer everything I say exactly the way I want her to. I do, but she's the more divine of the two of us. I don't, even the dog, I mean, even the dog, we've been talking about dogs, Julie's got a new puppy, we've been looking at pictures this morning, but even the dog doesn't do everything I want her to. And so I am used to, and I think you're used to, having conversations when there's a certain discontent, disquiet about us that says, I'm not sure what I'm saying is being heard. I'm not sure what I'm saying is going to cause the reaction and the answer I want. 
And John just says, look, and John was there. John was there in Luke chapter 18. He was listening to Jesus that day when he hears this story. And so it's in his mind as he's writing that letter to the churches in Asia Minor when he says, if you pray, God hears you. And if God's hearing you, he's answering you. But if it's not the answer I want, then sometimes I shut the conversation down. And so how do I keep the conversation going? So let's go to Luke chapter 18. Let's go to verse one. Notes are available on the YouVersion app. We had a slight mishap last week and you couldn't access them. You couldn't put notes in, but you can. Hopefully this morning you should be able to do that if you want to look at the actual notes. Here's the parable. Verse one starts it, introduces it. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always. And I love the last part of this, and not give up. Luke was a very practical man. He was a physician by occupation and vocation. He was a practical man, and he understood we didn't simply just need to pray. We needed to make sure we didn't give up praying. Then here's the story that Jesus told. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, for a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, the, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, look at those two bookends for just a section. Just a, just a moment in this section. Luke says the story tells us to pray and to keep praying continuously all the time. Regularly pray. Don't give up on praying. And the conclusion, the other bookend of this section says when Jesus comes back, which he's promised to come back and he is coming back, will Jesus find us in a position of faith? Because prayer is one of the greatest indicators of our faith. So we keep praying. We don't give up. But it's hard to pray when it seems like nobody cares. It's hard to keep praying when no one seems to care. And if we position ourselves and we assume or make an assumption that God doesn't care because I haven't immediately gotten my answer or I don't know exactly what he's doing or what he thinks about this situation and I make the worst assumption, God doesn't care. It's hard to keep praying. What I love about Jesus' teachings is they are so practical and they are so real. I don't think there's anybody in this room, I don't think there's anybody on live stream watching right now or later today that wouldn't say, if it appears that the person I'm talking to isn't listening, I don't want to talk to them. And we all do it. We do it to one another all the time. But God is not human like us. He has the ability to keep listening. This environment is hostile. 
In verse two, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. If I didn't know this was written in 64 AD, I would have thought it was about Harris County, Texas. But we're going to correct that in just a few days. And they're just coming up. You saw Tony Evans talking about it earlier. We're going to see if that doesn't change because we have a responsibility in Scripture to participate under the teaching of Paul in Romans 13. But it's a hostile environment. In this hostile environment, the judge has no foundation to care or to respect people because he is a godless man. Now, I'll tell you what convicted me when I was studying this and thinking about this. As I wonder how many times I turn to secular solutions for spiritual problems. Thinking that somehow culture cares more. Thinking that somehow my colleagues care more. Thinking that somehow this person cares more or this entity cares more. Or that this place has a better solution. How many times do I make the assumption that my environment, my connections and my networks may have a better solution than God does? When in reality, if it's not of God, it is godless by definition. And if it is not of God, it is incapable by definition of being fully compassionate and fully gracious and fully merciful. Those are characteristics of God that he imputes into his people. Those are not natural characteristics of sinful people. But yet most of us in any kind of dire circumstance will turn to those resources. Oftentimes, embarrassingly so, many times before I even turn to him for a solution. In verse four, it continues. For a while he's unwilling His godlessness, his lack of respect or concern, our valuing of humanity continues to exist, and so he's unwilling to do anything. Her case is strong. Her case is clear. It's evident. She's asking for for that reciprocal activity that would give her justice in whatever the situation is. But even the judge self-confesses. Even though I'm somebody who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect people. Now that's the prelude to him finally giving an answer, but even his answer will not come out of compassion or even a sense of justice because he doesn't know what it is. It comes just simply out of a convenience to him. We must keep praying when it seems like nobody cares. We must keep praying and maybe we desperately need to pray even more if we feel like the environment in which we're in is toxic and hostile because God always cares. I love the way in the song we were singing earlier, it describes in the verse how we can't, we don't have the ability to get to God, to get to heaven by our own efforts and so God brought heaven down to us. Jesus entered our mess so that we could know him. And if we know him, we can talk to him. And if we can talk to him, then our issues, our need for justice, our need for provision, whatever they are, they are being heard by somebody who deeply cares, is deeply compassionate, and who deeply loves us and wants the best for us more than any other thing in creation. The creator wants the best for us. 
He knows us, he designed us, and he cares for us, and he wants to sustain us, and he wants to bring us home with him. So we keep praying, even when the environment's hostile. We keep praying when we know that our cause is right. And a widow in that town in verse three kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. She is absolutely convinced. There is no doubt in her mind that her cause is just. That whatever has happened to her, whatever unjust activity, whatever situation took the best of her, damaged her, wounded her, in whatever degree it is, she knows that that situation demands and deserves justice. But justice isn't coming. The, the judge who is supposed to dispense justice, justice isn't, he doesn't care about justice, he's godless. I don't know when we're going to wake up in the Western civilization and understand that people who do not know God will never implement policy that is godly, which is why they need to be replaced. And only the church, 90 million citizens in the United States can do that. If you're upset because justice isn't being served because of godless principles, it's because people, and oftentimes many of us, put godless people in office. If you're in China, if you're in Russia, you can complain all you want because you didn't have a choice. But the truth is, in America, you had a choice. And you made that choice, your neighbors made the choice, and we live with the consequences. Godlessness creates injustice. But Jesus tells us when injustice is there, don't stop going to the imminent source that's going to make the difference. Keep praying because your cause is right. I have been praying for over 40 years for God to move in our land in awakening. I had just become a pastor. I became a pastor very quickly after I was um, a new Christian, and that probably wasn't the best decision on some people's part, but we adjusted to it and have survived a lot of mistakes in the beginning, just as you have survived a lot of mistakes in the end. Um, it's just, it happens. It's a part of it. But a lady in our church walked up to me one Sunday and said, you're so concerned about what's happening. I think you should read this book. It's an old book, it's out of print. You can't get it unless you find it in a used bookstore called When They Gathered at the River. And it was an anthology of accounts, historical accounts of when God moved in an amazing fashion and God changed people's lives. And the life change that was experienced in those worship services and in those church services spilt into the community and created the changes for a better community. And I read those stories and I was just enthralled. I mean, my, my mind just went crazy. Is it possible that in my lifetime, God might move in such a way? God might move in such a manner that people's lives could be dramatically and influentially changed to the point it changes everything else. I mean, I know it historically. I, I understand we are a free country because God moved in an amazing way in the middle of the 1700s and the freedom that Christ gave people inspired freedom for their own lives and their daily activities and their vocations. And our Bill of Rights is a reflection of God's supernatural movement and life change. 
But for 40 years, I've been praying. After I read that book, I shared it with a friend of mine. He's a pastor as well. We're both still pastoring. We would go down to the river near where my church was, and we would sit there on the bank of the river, and we would pray. I can't even begin to count all the meetings I've been in, all the times I've been together one-on-one or with groups of thousands where we have initiated and we have called to pray for awakening and pray for revival. And the reality is a simple look at today's demographics or public um, activities indicates that that prayer has never been heard. But I will pray it again tonight. Because I'm going to keep praying because I know it's the right thing. I don't know what you're struggling with. But if you know deep in your heart, if you're convicted deep in your heart that this is the right thing, and if it aligns with Scripture, if it's clearly God's desire, then God has said, I will meet the desires of your heart and answer your prayers. Then trust Him to do that and don't give up. Keep praying when the cause is right. Keep praying when hope is lost. Verse four describes him, how for a while he's unwilling, but later he comes to himself, not in a spiritual decision, but just simply a matter of conscience and convenience. Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, it literally means beating me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming and it literally means she won't bruise my eye boxing me repeatedly repeatedly now i want to be real clear i don't think god needs you to fight him and my encouragement to keep praying even when hope is lost is not because i think we have the ability to pester god into answering us jesus is giving a contrast he is clearly saying if this happens with a godless uncaring man then imagine how much, and that's the contrast, imagine how much a caring, lovingly fa- loving father will do this. Jesus did the same thing in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 as he's describing the Beatitudes and he's describing the way of life in his most popular discourse, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, look, you dads, you know what to do. We know what to do as dads. You know how to give good gifts to your children. You know how to provide for your children. There are sickos out there, but for the general population, if a child asks for something to eat, the dad's not going to give them serpents or scorpions. He's going to give them bread. He's going to give them fish. He, we, if we understand that, as secular and lost as we are, then imagine, he says, how much your heavenly Father cares for you. And when you go to lunch... And you're sitting on the patio and the sparrows are coming down to your feet and they're eating the crumbs that your kids are dropping on the floor. Remind yourself that Jesus said every single one of those sparrows, every single one of them is not only known by God, but valued by God. And Jesus asked the question, if that's true, then how much more is the love of God applicable to you, his perfect and exact creation? Keep praying when all hope is lost because you never know when it's going to turn. Many of us have been watching the playoffs this week. Many of us watched the playoffs all day long yesterday. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm kind of a new convert to baseball. 
That was my first 18-inning scoreless game. If it had been my first game, I would be a fan of football and not baseball. Man, it was long. But in game one, many of you may have seen it. We actually tried to get the picture. We couldn't acquire it. There was a little boy in the ninth. When we've been down, the whole game, the Astros have been losing. At no point in the game did it really look promising. I only stayed with the game personally because I had already confessed to you a couple of weeks ago I got bored in one of the games and I got tired and I was convinced we were going to lose and I turned it off and went to bed only to wake up the next morning and find out in the ninth inning the Astros came back and won the game. I didn't want to make that mistake and have to admit my sins to you twice in one month. Cameras panned as the bottom of the ninth. We're still down. I think we're down by two runs if I remember exactly. This is it. This is, you know, it's, everybody's lost hope. If you've got any intelligence of all, you've left Minute Maid, you're headed to your car to beat the crowds and get out of the traffic. There's a little boy, camera pans, zooms in on him. And the poor little boy, he's like 10, maybe 11 years old. He's crying. He's got his baseball mitt and he's got it tucked up. I'll use my Bible. It's, you know, they're both leather. Um, He's holding it up and he's got his little rally towel stuck in it and he's chewing on the rally towel and holding it and he's crying. He's leaning up against his dad and his dad's, you know, we're just not always that good sometimes at comforting and the dad's kind of uncomfortably going, it's going to be okay, son, it's going to be okay. I mean, all hope had been lost. And he was the beautiful, perfect picture of it. Now the picture you probably have seen because it's been on every news station is about five minutes later when... Jordan Alvarez hits a double home run propelling us into the winning position. And now the little boys, he's up in the air, his hands are in the air, and he's he's shouting and he's and he's you know he's just he's celebrating and he's got that towel and he's waving and he's got his baseball mid up in the air, and it's just ecstatic. Jesus says, keep praying when all hope is lost. There was no reason for her to have hope that anything was going to come out of it. And even when he answers and gives justice, it's out of a perverted motivation to get rid of her, not to see justice happen. And if that can happen, then imagine what happens when you have a conversation with an almighty, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful God who is always there for you, who, who deeply loves you enough that he gave up his own son and his son gave up his life so that we might know him, be forgiven by him, and spend eternity with him. The reality is hope is never lost, which is the last and final point. Keep praying when faith can win the day. I don't see so much Jesus' last statements about listening to what the judge says and then his contrast, you know, will not justice to God's people, the elect, the chosen, his people, those who have trusted in Jesus. How much more will he answer? Clearly, he's wanting us to understand God is so much better and so much more willing to answer And I don't think it's a condemnation when he says, nevertheless, will the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think Jesus says it out of a confidence. We know better. When it feels like nobody cares, we know God cares. It's just hard. We're here. We're in this world. We can believe our cause is right, but when we seem to make no 
headway. We don't get any traction. It's easy to lose hope. And when it seems like all hope is lost, when there's no other alternative, it's easy to want to give up. It's always easier to give up than it is to persevere. I think Jesus is just reminding us. He not only loves us and answers our prayer, communicates with us, has this conversation with us, but he anticipates the joy of people living their lives by faith. Because faith wins the day. When I was lost and I didn't have any clue where I was going or what I was going to do, I trusted in Jesus and he's given me direction for all of my life. When I had no sense that I could possibly live a better life and accomplish more than I was already doing, Jesus intervened and I met him, I trusted him, and he's changed my life and provided so much more than I ever could have imagined. When I have stood by the bedside of dying friends and it's as if there's nothing else and it's as if all despair is lost and I don't know what to say, I know that there is hope. Because I know we were never meant to stay in this world that we messed up. God's inviting us home. Faith always wins the day. Every single time. So let's be a people of faith. And doing that, let's worship. Our band comes back, we sing, we close out the service. We have the opportunity to live this week and to make a difference this week. And let's do it. You think about the thing that's been the hardest thing to pray for. I have several individuals on my prayer list I have been praying for for decades for them to come to know Christ and they haven't yet. But I'm not gonna stop. There may be a need for provision. There may be a need for wisdom or guidance. And it says if that's just not there, don't. Stop. Don't give up. Faith will win the day.